I don't know how it is at your house, but at my house, we have pictures on the wall, we have pictures on shelves, we have pictures by the bed, we have pictures everywhere. And these pictures most often catch us at our good times. They catch us when we're posing, they catch us when we're on vacation, they catch us when we're celebrating anniversaries, they catch us when we're posing for the camera. But the problem is, those pictures don't tell the whole story, do they? Those pictures don't show the harsh words. Those pictures don't show us those times of of cold stares. Those pictures don't show us those times when we drift apart. And certainly, those pictures don't show us the times that we pull apart. And that's the problem. We look at everybody else's pictures and we look at everybody else's posts and we think that that everybody else has a picture-perfect life. That everything is good, everything is great, everything's always dandy in everybody else's house. But in our house, things aren't that way. We look at our life and we think that we're the only ones that have problems, we're the only ones that struggle, we're the only ones that have up and downs. We're the only ones that are dysfunctional. But the truth of the matter is, each and every one of us are dysfunctional. I'm dysfunctional. You're dysfunctional. My family is dysfunctional. Your family is dysfunctional. We all are dysfunctional. And the reason is, we are born dysfunctional. We are born sinful. We are born flawed, we are born selfish, and we are born into a sinful, flawed, selfish world, and because of this, we're dysfunctional. We say things and we do things that are hurtful. We say things and we do things that cause problems. We say things and we do things that cause pain, and we experience the hurt and the pain and the problems that come with those selfish, hurtful things. And that's why this morning I want us to begin a two-part series where we're going to focus on the family. We're going to focus on marriage today. We're going to focus on parenting next week because I believe God has a word for us. And I believe that through the power of God and His dwelling Holy Spirit, He can turn our dysfunctional into functional. And I think you would all agree with me today when I say that marriage and family is being redefined. I think you would agree with me, wouldn't you? I read a quote recently that said this. For the first time in history, Western civilization is confronted with the need to define the meaning of the terms marriage and family. What until now has been considered a normal family made up of a father, a mother, and a, a number of children has in recent years begun to be viewed as one among several options. We are redefining what family is. We're redefining what marriage is. And you need to understand this isn't simply a cultural thing. This is a spiritual thing. We are in a war for the family. And our enemy would love nothing more than to confuse us and deceive us when it comes to marriage and family. And the reason is... If he can destroy the foundation upon which our marriages are built, upon which our our families are built, then he will be successful in destroying society itself. 
because our marriages, our family are the first line of society. And as the marriage goes, as the family goes, so goes society. And so this morning I want us to begin by talking about marriage. And, and to do that, I want to first of all define what marriage is. And I'm going to give you my definition of marriage. You understand it's my definition. I believe it's biblical. But there are many definitions out there. But this is my definition. Marriage is a covenant that a man and a woman make with each other before God and man to spend the rest of their lives committed to helping the other become all that God wants them to be. Now let me say that again. Marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman before God and man to spend the rest of their lives committed to helping the other become all that God created them to be. Now I know that definition isn't very sexy I know that definition isn't very romantic, but I believe it's biblical and I believe it tells us what marriage is supposed to be. Now notice several things. First of all, marriage is a covenant, an agreement that is more binding than a contract because a marriage is made between people who are in relationship. Second, marriage is between a man and a woman. Marriage is exclusively a heterosexual covenant. I know that doesn't sit well with many in our society today, but the one who created marriage, God, is the one who gets to define marriage. Third, marriage is made before God. You need to always remember that the vows you make are not only vows that you make to one another, the vows that you make are vows that you are making to God. Fourth, the vows you make are made before God and man. In other words, there are people who are present at your marriage ceremony, at your wedding ceremony, who hear your vows. And it is their responsibility to help hold you accountable to those vows. Fifth, marriage is intended to be a permanent relationship. God intended marriage to be permanent, not temporary, not a trial basis thing. God wants it to be for a lifetime. And finally, marriage is not about getting our needs met. Marriage is about giving our lives to meet the needs of someone else. So what does God say about marriage? Well, well the Bible speaks often about marriage, but probably the the passage that is most well-known when it comes to marriage is Ephesians 5. And so if you haven't already, I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. And while you're turning there, I want you to notice something. First of all, what, what Peter says about, or Paul says about marriage is in the context of verse 15 where he says, be careful how you live. And then he tells us to live as wise people. And so Paul is telling us when it comes to marriage, we need to be careful, we need to be thoughtful, we need to think about what we are doing. And then what he says about marriage is in the context of verse 18, when he tells us to be filled with the Spirit. If we are filled with the Spirit, it is not only going to affect our worship, it is not only going to affect our witness, if we are filled with God's Spirit, it will affect every area as we walk through life. And then in verse 21, 
Paul begins this, this part on marriage by giving us these words. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now listen to that again. Paul said submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Before Paul ever told us what wives are supposed to do, before Paul ever told us what husbands are supposed to do, he told all of us what we are supposed to do. And he said what each and every one of us should do in our relationships as we walk through life is this. We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Then that word submit was most often in that day used as a military term. It literally meant to be to arrange under the authority of someone else. It spoke of giving up control for the sake of others. It's something that, that we all are called to do. We are all to submit. But I think you would agree with me that it's something that we all have a hard time doing. Submitting. I mean, if submission is giving up control, which of us in this room doesn't have a hard time giving up control? We all want to hold on to control. We all want to be the one in charge. But submission is turning loose of our selfish agendas for the good of others in every area of our life. Regardless of what our role may be, we are called at times to submit to other people. And we do that out of reverence for Christ. That word reverence is the Greek word phobos here. It's the word that we get our word fear from, phobia from. It says that we are to submit to one another because we have this holy fear of Christ. We are in awe of who he is. And then he begins to lay out for us what this looks like in a husband and wife relationship. And so understand the umbrella. We submit to one another out of our love for Christ. So here's the bottom line. If you want a functional marriage, you must realize that marriage is a race to the back of the line. Marriage isn't a race to the front of the line. Marriage isn't a race to the seat of honor. Marriage isn't a race to the place where you can have someone else wait on you hand and foot. No, the Bible says if we want a functional marriage, then marriage is a race to the back of the line. Marriage all is always about serving others, not being served. Marriage is always about meeting the needs of others, not having our own needs met. And so before we go any further, before we break down what it looks like for a wife, what it looks like for a husband, understand, men, you were called to submit. You're called to lay down. Wives, understand, you were called to submit. You were called to lay down. Now, what does that look like practically? Well, verse 22 tells us for the wife, this is what it looks like. It says for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, don't walk out. Ladies, stay seated, hear me through, hear me out, and I've had that done. I've had two people walk out. I mean, I, I, I say that word, and, and it causes blood pressures to rise, it causes faces to get red. It causes us to tune out everything else that is said. But understand, the one who created you, ladies, 
The one who redeemed you when you rebelled against him is the one who said that you are to submit to your husbands as unto Christ. Not me, not some, some male, but your creator. The God of all creation is the one who said, wives, submit to your husband. And the truth that you need to understand is this. Every place that the New Testament speaks of a wife's role, it uses that word. Every single place. Not just here in Ephesians, but, but in 1 Corinthians it uses that word. In 1 Peter it uses that word. In, in Colossians it uses that word. In Titus it uses that word. In 1 Timothy it uses that word. Every time it speaks of a woman's role in this marriage partnership, it uses that word, wives, submit to your husbands. Colossians 3.18, wives, submit to your husbands. 1 Peter 3.1, in the same way, you wives must submit to your husbands. So you have two options. Either you're going to find out what God is saying here, you're going to obey Him and reap the consequence or the, the, and reap the benefits of it, or you're going to reject what God says, you're going to refuse to obey, and you're going to reap the consequences of what God says. Now let me say before I go any further, submission is a choice. And here's what it is. It's a choice to put the needs of someone else above your own. It's a choice to, to put someone else's will above your own. It's a choice to surrender control to someone else. That's what submission is. But men, you listen to me. Submission is not a right you can demand. Submission is a gift for you as a woman to give to your husband. Submission is never a right that you as men can demand. Submission is always a gift that your wife gives. Notice the last part of that verse. You are to submit as to the Lord. Would you agree to me that as followers of Jesus, we submit to the Lord? Would you agree that that's what being a Christian is? A Christian is someone who submits to the Lord's leadership, submits to the Lord's authority in our life. Would you agree with that? And so we submit to our husbands as unto the Lord. Now, listen, why do we submit to the Lord? Do we submit to the Lord out of duty? Because it's commanded and we know that if we don't commit, things are going to go bad in our life. Do we submit to the Lord out of duty? Because we know that if we don't submit to Him, we're going to burn. Do we submit out of duty because we know that if we don't submit, the Lord's going to punish us? Well, I hope not. I, I would hope that, that we submit to the Lord out of love. We submit to the Lord because He first loved us and because he loves us so much we are now submitting to his authority in our life and that's how a wife is to submit to her husband you're not supposed to submit out of duty well I know the Bible says I'm supposed to do it and doggone it I don't want to but I am that's not what we're supposed to do we're supposed to submit to our husbands out of love because we desire the best for them. We want the best for them. And the Bible says that when a wife does this, God will make her beautiful in his eyes. More beautiful than the best makeup. More beautiful than the most expensive jewelry. 
I want you to listen to what, what Peter says about this in 1 Peter 3. He said, wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should, should not come from, from just outward adornment such as braided hair and the wearing of gold, jewelry, and, and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their husbands like Sarah who obeyed Abraham, called her, him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Now, now as Peter unpacks that passage, he, he tells us that, that our beauty in the Lord's eyes is not made up by how we braid our hair and the jewelry we wear and all of these things. He says our beauty is made up by our inward spirit. And then he says to us that, that this inward spirit is so powerful that even without saying a word, God can use that inward beauty to touch the heart and the spirit of an unbelieving husband and draw him to Jesus. Isn't that amazing? You see, that's the power of this submissive spirit. And Peter gives us two examples of the submission. The first example is Jesus. Notice what I said in, in verse 1. He says, in the same way, be submissive. Now, that same way takes us back to chapter 2 of 1 Peter. And in chapter 2 of 1 Peter, Peter is telling us how Jesus was submissive to the will of the Father, even to the point of going to the cross. And he is saying in the same way that Jesus was submissive to the will of the Father, wives are to be submissive to their husbands. And then he uses the example of Sarah. He says Sarah was so submissive to her husband Abraham that she obeyed him. Oh, heavens to Betsy. And she called him master. Now I'm not saying you need to greet your husband at the door and say, Oh, Lord and master, welcome home. I'm not saying that. But it's talking about the honor and respect that wives are to give their husband. Now, what would have happened if Jesus had not have submitted to the will of the Father? You and I couldn't be saved. What would have happened if Sarah had not submitted to the will of her husband? Jesus would not have been born. Jesus was born through the seed of Abraham. So understand all the mercy, all the grace, all the provisions that God has for us and God has in store for us are the result of Jesus' submissive attitude toward the Father and Sarah's submissive attitude toward her husband. The submission thing is a big, big deal. And so why is it so hard? Come on. Let's be honest. I mean, nobody's walked out. But let's be honest. Some of you are, you're stewing. I know it. You're sitting there thinking of all the Sundays I came to church. Why in the world? And, and that's what you're thinking. And, and I'm not talking about carnal women that don't love Jesus. I'm talking about good, godly women. I mean, why is it? How is it that good godly women struggle with this submission thing? Because a lot do. Well, it goes all the way back to the very beginning in the fall of man. 
I want you to listen to what it says in Genesis 3. It says that after the fall, after sin entered the world, it says, Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain will you give birth. Man, that's a bummer, isn't it? Hey, it's your fault. It's your fault. Hey, but God redeemed you with the epidural, amen? <laughs> and so he, he says, because of sin, because of sin, there's going to be pain in pregnancy and there's going to be pain in childbirth. But then he says this, and you will desire control of your husband and he will rule over you. Did you get that? You will desire control of your husband. And he will rule over you. Now, there's only one other place in the New Old Testament that that word desire in the Hebrew is found. Chapter 4 of Genesis. And in chapter 4 of Genesis, verse 7, it says this. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. So this word desire means to control. Sin desires to control you, but you must not let it control you. You must master that desire and not give in to it. That's what God is saying in Genesis 4. But the good news you need to understand, those of you who are followers of Jesus, when Jesus saved you, he redeemed you from the curse of sin. You're no longer under bondage to the curse of sin. And what has been taken from you because of sin and the fall has been restored to you. And so you no longer have to live with that control. You can relinquish that control and you can submit. But what does that look like? What does it look like to submit? Well, first of all, submission doesn't mean, ladies, that you are going to be a yes person. Your husband doesn't need a yes person. And let me say, if your husband is a man, he doesn't want a yes person. He doesn't need it. He doesn't want it. He needs a woman who is his helpmate, who is his completer, who will walk arm in arm with him, side by side with him, giving advice, giving counsel. And so submission doesn't mean that you're a yes person. A submission doesn't mean that you go, yes, dear, on everything. Second, submission doesn't mean that you um, can demand from your wife anything you want. Remember, submission is a gift to be given, not something to be demanded. And so, men, you can't demand it. And then third, submission does not mean that you enable wrongdoing. In other words, if your husband ask you to do something that is sinful, if your husband wants you to do something wrong, you don't enable him in that. You need to understand that. You have to obey God rather than man. So submission doesn't mean that. What does submission mean? Submission means that you lovingly trust your husband and you're going to relinquish control to him as he seeks to follow the Lord. He may do it horribly, he may do it awfully, but your desire is to submit to his authority in your life. Listen to what it says in verses 23 and 24. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church, and the church submits to Christ. And so as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. 
And in verse 23, some husbands read verse 23, and the first word that they see is that word what? Head. And when you read that and you go, see, hon, God's called me to be the head. But if you're reading this verse through the lens of the Holy Spirit, the first verse or first word you're going to see is the word Christ. Husbands are to be the head of their wives as Christ is the head of the church. And so when you read this verse, men, it shouldn't make you bow up and say, I'm in charge. It should scare the bejesus out of you because you're supposed to lead the way Christ leads. And Christ was a servant leader. Christ never sat back and demanded that people do what he asked. He never sat on the throne barking orders. Rather, Christ knelt down at the feet of his followers and washed their dirty, filthy feet. You see, servant leadership isn't about sitting on a throne. Servant leadership is about taking up a towel and washing your wife's feet and putting her needs before your needs, men. And so don't sit back and tell your wife, I'm in control, I'm in charge. If you're always saying that, that says that your spirit is wrong before God. Because you're to be a servant leader. You see, headship speaks of a husband's responsibility, not a husband's rights. We're called to lead, but we're called to lead with service. We're called to lead, but that means that the buck stops with us. It means that we're responsible. It means that we're accountable. It means that we're going we're gonna to answer to God one day for how we lead our family to love Jesus and serve Jesus. So don't sit back thinking that you have a right to tell your wife what to do. No, you have a right to serve your wife. Now, men, let me share three things with you as you lead. First of all, never make a decision without hearing and evaluating input from your wife. If you do that, you're foolish. Did you hear me? If you make decisions without hearing and evaluating input from your wife, you are foolish. What did God say in Genesis chapter 2? He was going to give man a helper suitable for him. The Hebrew word for that can literally be translated completer. In other words, men, our elevator doesn't go to the top floor. We need someone to help us get there. And praise God, God has done that through wives. He brings wives into our life to help us and complete us. And so if you make decisions in a vacuum in any area of your life without talking to your wife, evaluating what she has to say, you're foolish. Second, you pray. You pray with your wife about decisions and you pray without your wife about decisions you pray and then third as you lead you always question your motives why am I making the decisions I'm making am I making these decisions because they are in my wife's best interest or am I making these decisions because they're what I want men listen to me 
If y'all got some extra money that came in from taxes or something else, and your wife says, babe, we, you know, we, we need to do some things around the house. You know, you literally can look out the front window and there's nothing in between us and the road. <laughs> there's a hole there. We need to make some improvements on our house. And you go, babe, it's okay. It's not big enough for a big snake to crawl through. And, and after all, I need a new bass boat. Can I tell you, you need to check your motives, amen? All too often, we as men make decisions that are very selfish and self-centered. And then we sit back on our throne and we say, well, I'm in charge. You need to just submit to me. Well, maybe she does, but you need to quit being a jerk. And you need to grow up and quit being a baby Expecting your mama to take care of you. When you got married, you moved out of your mama's house. And you took a responsibility, men, to care for your wife and your children. Do you hear me? Can I get an amen? amen. I want to hear it from the men, not the women. <laughs> That's what we're called to do. We're called to do that. And that doesn't mean that a wife can't work and make money and make a lot of money. Doesn't mean that at all. But men, the buck stops with us. Do you hear me? We are accountable. We are responsible. And we have to understand that. Now look at verse 25. For husbands. Now remember verse 22. Paul says, for wives, this is what it looks like, this mutual submission. For wives, this means submit to your husbands. That's what it said. And then he says, for husbands, this is what this mutual submission looks like. This means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, but washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a husband who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church and we're members of his body. As the scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Now I want you to circle that word love if your Bible is open. I imagine there's none of us here who, who wouldn't say as men that we don't love our wives but do we love them like we're supposed to? The, the, the word here for love is the Greek word agape. There are four different Greek words for love. There's storge love, which is more of a companionship type love. There's philia love, which is this intimate, bonded friendship love. There's eros love, which is which sexual love. And then there's agape love, which is selfless love. It's the God that was used to describe God's love. It's a divine love. And the word that's used here for what men are supposed to do for their wives is agape. Husbands are to agape love their wives, selfless love. Not selfish love, selfless love. Now, listen to me, ladies. Listen to me, men. This is important. This is wild. Nowhere in Scripture, in the New Testament, do we find women commanded to agape love their husbands. This is only given to men. Whenever men are told their roles in the house, they are told to agape love their wives. Women are never told to agape love their, wives, their husbands. 
Now that doesn't mean they shouldn't, they should. We should all express that kind of love. But here's the thing, love comes much more natural for a woman. Women have a nurturing spirit about them. That, that's, why, that's why God had women give birth and not men. If men gave birth, man, there wouldn't be anybody here. I mean, you know, us men, we'd eat our young. But women protect and nurture and provide for and care for. They have this loving spirit about them. But men, we have a conquering spirit. I mean, we have a take-charge spirit. We have a go-to-war spirit. We have a, a build-it spirit. And, and because of that, oftentimes, love doesn't come as natural for us. And so we're commanded to love with this selfless, giving love. Whenever it speaks to women, they're called to submit. But why is that? Well, because, because of the fall we have this nature tendency and desire to not do that. We want to take control. We want to take charge. We want to, we want to rule. We want to reign. And that's not in our nature to do that to a man. And so God says, you need to do this. Men, you need to do this. Now, what does that love look like? Well, Paul tells us three things. He says, first of all, it's sacrificial. He said, you're to love like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. What did Christ do for us? He died for us. Now, probably every red-blooded man sitting here right now would say, I'd die for my wife. It isn't saying that you'd be willing to die for your wife. It says you will die for your wife. Did you get that? Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and died for her. We're called to die for our wives. Now, now, you may sometime in the future have the opportunity, have the privilege, have the choice to die for your wife physically. But here's what I know. Each of us as men have that opportunity to die for our wives every single day. We die to our wants, our desires, our preferences, our wishes for the sake of our wives. Men, when you get married, it's not about you. You don't marry this woman so that she can spend her life serving you and making you feel like a king. You marry her because you feel called to spend the rest of your life serving her and treating her like a queen and putting her on the pedestal that she deserves to be on. And young ladies, listen to me. Don't settle for any boy, any man who won't do that. Because you're settling for something less than God has for you. Men, God wants you to sacrificially love your wife. But notice next, God wants you to sanctifyingly love your wife. The passage says that we are to present her holy, pure, blameless, spotless. Men, it is your responsibility to present your wife before God, the woman he created her to be. It's your responsibility. I thank God for the godly women in our church. The truth of the matter is, many of you men wouldn't be here today if it wasn't because of your wife. You'd be sitting home. You'd be in bed, or you'd be on the lake, or you'd be out hunting, you'd be doing something else, but your wife said, come on, we're going to church. And you went, okay. 
And you're here because of her. And so, ladies, thank you. Thank you. But men, grow up. Grow up. Take the leadership that God has given you. One day, you're going to stand before God and you're going to give an account for how your wife stands before the throne. You are responsible for her spiritual growth. You are responsible for her spiritual development. You are. So if you're not having a family devotional time, it's your fault. Not hers, not your busy schedule. It's your fault. You sit back and say, well, I'm responsible for mine. She's responsible for hers. No, she's not. God told us that you as men, I as a man, am supposed to have a sanctifying love. Our love is is sacrificial. Our love is sanctifying. But then our love is satisfying. Don't miss what Paul says here. He says, when a man loves his wife like he should, he is actually showing love to himself. In other words, listen to what this is saying, men. This is where it gets good for us. It's all good, but this is where it gets good. What Paul is saying is when you love your wife the way you're supposed to love your wife, it's going to turn out good for you. Because you love your wife the way you love your own body and you love your own self. And what man doesn't love his self? I mean, we love ourselves. And Paul's saying that if you love your wife like you're supposed to, it's going to be like loving yourself. It's going to come back to you. There's a give and a take relationship in a marriage. When we love our wives the way that we are supposed to, it's setting them up to be the wives that they're supposed to be. When you as a wife love your husbands and submit to them and respect them the way you're supposed to, it is setting them up to be the husbands that they are supposed to be. And it's a mutually beneficial relationship. Marriage is kind of symbiotic. Symbiosis is when you have two organisms that that live off one another, mutually benefiting both. And marriage is like that. Two people come together, become one, and that relationship mutually benefits both of them. That's what marriage is supposed to be. Now here's the bottom line. Look at it in verse 33. Paul says, so again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and his wife must respect her husband. Each man is to love his wife. Each wife is to do what? Respect her husband. There's a study out. It's one of the most popular marriage studies out today called Love and Respect. And it's based upon this verse in Ephesians 5, 33. And and, and the premise of, of the study, the premise of the book is this. The number one need of a woman, deep down within her very core, is to be loved. That's the number one need. The number one need of a man down at the very core of who he is, is to be respected. And so, what Paul is saying here is men, meet that greatest need. Love your wife the way Christ loves you. And then he says, wives, this is what you're to do. You're to respect your husbands. Now that word respect is the Greek word phobeo, phobos, phobia, fear. 
It's the same word that's used in verse 21 where it says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Fear for Christ. It's saying the same way that we look at Christ, we're to look at our husbands. Wow. That's heavy, isn't it? The same holy awe that we give to Christ, wives are to give to their husbands. And so you have these wives who are so respecting and honoring and in awe of their husband that they are cheering them on all the time. And then you have these husbands that are so in love with their wives that they are daily dying, setting their desires, their preferences, their wants, their wishes aside for the sake of their wives. Paul says when you have that, when you have this race to the back of the line, you have husbands who are willing to die to what they want for the sake of their wives, and you have wives who are willing to so honor and cherish and respect and hold in all their husbands that they will do anything for them, then you'll have the kind of marriage you want. You see, a good marriage, a great marriage, a functional marriage is a race to the back of the line. It's not a a race to sit in the seat of honor. It's not a race to have your needs met. It's not a race to be able to bark out order and see who's in control and who's in charge and, and who can make the decisions. It's a race to the back of the line to see which one of us is going to serve the other best. And when we do, we're going to discover that what we want, the kind of marriage we desire, All of a sudden, we're experiencing it. Now, why is this so important for those of us who are Christians? Well, first of all, you're never going to have a lasting, loving marriage until you do these things. You may coexist. You may make it till death do you part. But let's just be honest. It's never going to function the way you want until you follow the instructions from the Creator. And so first off, you want the marriage that you're looking for, you need to do this. But more than that, Paul says the reason we as Christians need to do this is because of what our marriages illustrate. Notice what he says in verse 32. He says, this is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Did you hear that? Paul's been taking 10 or more verses to speak about marriage, about husbands and about wives. And then he says, this is a mystery. The world's never going to understand it. But marriage is a picture of how Christ loves the church and is one with the church. And so what he is saying is when we as husbands love our wives the way we're supposed to, we are modeling to a world that desperately needs Jesus how Jesus loves the world. And he is saying when wives honor and respect and submit to their husbands the way that they are supposed to, it is a picture to a world that desperately needs to know the Creator what it looks like to have a loving relationship with our Creator. And so understand, marriage, rightly done, 
is not just about you and I enjoying our marriages. Marriage rightly done is a witness to the world of what God has done for us through Jesus. This is a big deal. And so are we willing as Christ followers to set aside our selfish desires and begin to model for the sake of the world how much God loves us through the way we flesh out our marriages. Because that's what God wants. I want you to bow your head with me. I want you to close your eyes. With your head bowed and with your eyes closed, I want to first of all talk to those of you who may not have that relationship with God. You may never have become one with Jesus. And if that's where you're at today and you've never surrendered, you've never committed your life to Jesus, you've never submitted to His authority, then I want to invite you today to submit to the one who loves you unconditionally and who loves you with all of His might. And that's Jesus. So if you'd like to give your heart and life to Jesus and submit, surrender to Him, let me encourage you to pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I humbly come to you today asking your forgiveness. I've lived life my way. I've been selfish. I've been self-centered. I haven't submitted to your authority. I'm sorry. I don't want to live that way anymore. I know you love me. Right here, right now, I'm surrendering to you. I'm giving you my all. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Take control. From this moment on, Jesus, I want to live for you. I want to follow you. And with your head still bowed, your eyes still closed, if you prayed that prayer just then and, and you meant it, you feel like it's the first time you've ever really prayed it and meant it, would you just quickly lift your hand for just a second so that I can rejoice with you? Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else prayed that prayer just then and felt like you meant it for the very first time? Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Okay, put your hands down. If you prayed that prayer and you feel like you meant it for the very first time, welcome to God's family. He heard your prayer. I can tell you He loves you unconditionally. And He will come to live in your life and He will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll never divorce you. He'll never turn His back on you. No matter what you do, no matter if you fail Him, He's going to love you. So welcome to His family. And I want to encourage you in just a moment, if you did pray that prayer, to come and tell one of our pastors. You may want to make that decision to make it public. I think that's a biblical thing. So you can come and tell one of our pastors and they'll tell you what your next step is. But for just a moment, I want all of us to pray for our marriages. And I don't want you to take time praying for your spouse. Dear God, help my spouse to be what they need to be. I don't want you to pray that they have ears to hear. I want you to pray for you. Pray for yourself. Pray that you'll be the husband that sacrificially loves his wife, that takes the lead in helping her become sanctified. If you're a wife, pray that God will help you be the wife that you need to be, submitting to your husband, respecting him in the same way that you respect and honor God. 
So just take a moment right now and just, just make that commitment to begin to be that husband or that wife that God wants you to be. Just take a moment and do that. Father God, I desperately long to be the husband you've called me to be. More often than than I want to admit, I feel like a failure. I get selfish. I get self-centered. I focus on what Sherry needs to do rather than focusing on what I need to do. Forgive me so sorry Lord help me to love my wife the way you love me Lord I just want to take a moment and pray for the wives here I can't pretend to understand what it's like to be a wife I but I do know what it's like to be a Christ follower and seek to submit to his, your authority. And so, Lord God, I just pray that you'll be with our wives and, Lord, just give them the courage, the peace to submit, to respect. Lord, even those times when we're not very worthy of respect, Thank you for the godly wives that are here. Lord, I pray that you will raise up hundreds upon hundreds of marriages, even in this room, that will begin to be a testimony, a lighthouse to our world. I pray this in Jesus' name.